want to give a big shout out to all you dads out there. Happy Father's Day from Hope Church. Yeah, come on, clap. I think dads need to be celebrated. Don't give them that golf clap. Oh. If you're going to clap, clap like you mean it. Don't be doing the, you know, golf clap thing, you know. Oh, he's on the third hole. No, come on. Dads deserve to be celebrated. Come on, I actually think that in this day and age we're living in that there's really an attack on the family unit and, and dads to just, even in sitcoms and different things, to be devalued in our society. But I, I'll tell you what, man, I, I just, uh, I'm just so appreciative of, of my dad, but even more so, what I love is that we come to church and we get to worship our Heavenly Father. There's something just so special, right, about Father's Day being able to just say, Dad, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. And so I just love celebrating Father's Day, being a father is one of the greatest privileges and honors of my life, but also being a spiritual father to this church and to many of you, just, uh, there's just something I can't, that can't be replaced. It's just amazing. And so I got one thing to just encourage you dads with, because I, I do think that uh, we get beat up and the enemy beats us up. And for a lot of my life as a father, I would constantly live under this shadow or cloud, if you will, that I wasn't enough for my kids and I wasn't good enough for my kids and I can never be the dad that they need and everything. And so I wanna tell you dad something this morning and I want you to hear it. You're doing better than you think. You're doing better than you think. And you have a very real enemy that wants to tell you that you're not enough, you're not doing enough and you've never been enough and, and that you lack, you cannot be the father God has called you to be and made you to be. And I said, that is a lie from the pit of hell. And so today, even really what God put on my heart really is a message, uh, I believe, about the Father heart of God. And uh, I, I just, I'm so, I'm gonna read a passage of scripture to you this morning that, that has touched me deeply. That as I read this story, this, this parable of Jesus, that it goes deep into my soul and actually for me personally heals a, a wound in my heart that I've carried with me ever since I was a young boy. And I know that Father's Day oftentimes can be a challenging day for a lot of us. And as we celebrate dads and, and, and if you've had a good father, well then you, you are actually in the minority. And I bless you if you've been a good father, if you've had a good father, if you're a kid here today and you have a good father, celebrate your dad, love on your dad because it is rare. And the truth is that for a lot of us, our reality is that we've lacked fathers. And whether you're here today and in the middle of the celebration um, where we're celebrating dads, for a lot of us, our reality is that we, we haven't known our fathers. We come from broken and divorced homes where it's painful, where we, we haven't lived in a home with, with a father and a mother, and, and we don't know what it means to have a father love us and speak identity into us and provide for us and protect us and give us a sense of security and peace and joy that God intended for the family unit to give us. For a lot of us, we, we've lost fathers. We, We've been abused by fathers. We've been overlooked by fathers. We've been devalued by fathers. We, we've been in, in homes where our father may be present physically, but wasn't present with us. And there's a pain there. There's a longing inside each one of us. I was reminded of this. Um, there's an amazing guy's name's Ed McGlasson. And uh, he's a pastor now, but he used to be an NFL football player. 
And I was reading, he made this, uh, created this little book called The Difference a Father Makes. And I, and I love this book, but he starts out the book by sharing a story about the difference a father makes. And he's talking about how he, he used to be an NFL player, so he's coaching a football team. And they're in the locker room before a game, and he's, you know, giving the guys the pep talk and everything. But he asks them this question. And he asks them, he says, let me ask you something. When you go out to play, when you step foot on that field, who are you looking for in the stands? Every single one of those guys said, I'm looking for my dad. And he, and he pointed to one guy and he said, why is that? And he said, I don't know. He said, there's just something about looking up in the stands and seeing my dad smiling down on me. That just makes me feel loved. And I thought, man, isn't, isn't that so true? That, that we've been made with this longing in us. Actually, it's an eternal longing. It's a longing that God placed in your heart and he placed in my heart. That even if we are wounded, even if we have been broken, even if we didn't know our fathers, been hurt by our fathers, that we actually have a heavenly father that loves you and is madly in love with you and longs for you to know him and to be fathered by him. And so I want to bring to you this passage of scripture that really shows the heart of the father to us today. And let me set it up for you. The setting is that Jesus oftentimes would be followed around by massive crowds. In fact, as the further he got into his, his earthly ministry, the more the crowds would build up. And in the crowds, there, there typically was two different groups of people that would follow Jesus. They were watching him. They were trying to figure out who is this man that says that he's God. And, and they even made fun of him, some of the religious people today. And that's, that was one part of the crowd were the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they were the, the pastors of the day, if you will, the leaders of the church of the day, if you will. And, and it had been so long since they had heard from God. There was no prophetic voice, no prophetic word. For, for years, there was just this void of, does, is God there? Does he see me? Does he really care about us? And so what they started to do is they, they started to create this religious system so that they could try to earn God's approval and earn God's love. And then you have this other group of people that were not the religious leaders of the day. They were the sinners. They were the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the drunkards and the addicts and the broken and the weak and the lost and the unclean. And they were trying to figure out this man, Jesus, because he was actually a friend to these people, yet he said he was God. And these people over here, they didn't get it. They missed the point. Because in their mind, picture of God was this God who demanded perfection, demanded that they live a sinless life. And when they didn't, they would get punished for it. They would be judged and judged severely. So you have this mixed crowd of people that were following Jesus around, watching his every move and trying to figure out who he was. And Jesus, in the middle of this crowd, begins to teach them, as he would often, in a parable, in a story that connected to a spiritual truth. And he starts out in Luke chapter 15 in talking about three things that were lost. The first one is the lost sheep. That if one sheep out of a hundred left the flock and was lost, wouldn't the good shepherd 
Go leave the 99 and go after the one that was lost and do anything, anything to find that sheep. And when he found him, he put him on his shoulders and come home to a celebration. My sheep is found. The second parable or story is about a woman who lost a valuable coin. And this coin was, was lost and it was so valuable to her that she cleaned the whole house, swept the whole floor, looked profusely, would not stop until she found this lost coin. And when she did, there would be a party. And they would celebrate because her coin was found that was valuable. And then he tells the story which I'm about to read you in Luke chapter 15, starting, uh, starting in verse 11. And the title of this parable is the parable of the lost son. And Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. And not long after that, the younger son together got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Verse 16, and he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And I love this. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And I think this is my prayer actually for some of us today. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against you, heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. And meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house and he heard the music and he saw the dancing, he called one of the servants and asked them, what is going on? Your brother has come home. He replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders. And yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. 
But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Would you pray with me? Father, on this Father's Day, I thank you for this story that's not just a story. It's who you are. You're a good, good father. And I'm just so grateful that you chose me as your son. God, that you saved me, you chose me, that you continually love me in spite of my unfaithfulness. God, you are always faithful. And today we are grateful. We are full of gratitude for who you are. You're good, good father. I pray today, just like this prodigal son, that we would come to our senses, that you would open our eyes to see you and have a fresh revelation of just how good you are. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Now, can we take a second and pray for our nation? God, I pray that we would have a revival of fathers, that your heart would get in the hearts of your church, of your pastors, of your leaders, for your lost sheep, your lost kids, your lost son and daughters. God, I pray for revival to sweep over this nation once again, just like you did in times past. God, you can do it again. God, we ask that you forgive us from turning our backs on you, for leaving your house, leaving your ways, and turning to other fathers, other gods, counterfeit fathers. I pray that you bring healing, forgive us, and bring healing to our land and revive us once again. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. The title of my message to you this morning is Run to the Father. Run to the Father. What blows me away about this passage is that in spite of this son almost demanding that the father gives him inheritance, and I don't know, in our culture today, we understand how just crazy it was for this young man, absolutely absurd, how absurd it was for this young man to have the, the gall to come to the father before he's dead and ask him for his inheritance. Actually, it would be like saying, I wish you were dead. So I can get what I get from you and I can live my life how I wanna live. That's basically what this young man was saying to the father. I wish you were dead. And all, all I care about, I don't care about having a relationship from you. I care about what I get from you so that I can go and live my life. And yet, even with that posture, here is the father that actually in order to give him his share of his inheritance, the way inheritance would work is the, the oldest brother would get the lion's share of the inheritance and the younger brother would get, depending on how many children he had, he'd get a, a specified share of that inheritance, but it would be much, much less than the older brother. But in order for him to actually give him the inheritance, the father would probably have to go and sell some of his inheritance that he received from his father in order to give him the money. 
This was a big deal because back in that day in Jewish culture, land meant everything. Your identity, everything came from who you were and how much land you own, houses, cattle, livestock, you name it, agriculture. That was what, that was worth something. That was the inheritance. And in the middle of it, this son comes to the father and demands, give me my share of my inheritance. And what does the father do? He could have rightfully kicked him out of the house at that point and disowned him as a son, which most fathers would have done. But the father doesn't do that. In fact, he actually gives his son his share of his inheritance, knowing that he would probably take it and squander it and maybe would never come back to him. And so when I read this story, what strikes me, oftentimes people associate this story with the prodigal son. In fact, that, that's, that's the name on the title of this passage. But I would propose to you that this story is not about a wayward son, but this story is about the heart of a father. It's about a father, a good, good father who loves his children. And so I got a couple of things that in reading this passage that really stuck, stuck out to me that I want to give to you. The first one is this, that God is a good, good father who will do anything to be in relationship with his sons and daughters. I'm going to read that again. I need to let it sink in. God is a good, good father who will do anything, anything to be in relationship with his sons and his daughters. I think... I think one of the greatest weapons that the enemy uses in our lives as believers and even just people in the world, if you look at all the craziness that's happening in the world right now, it, sadden, it sads, saddens me to hear about the way people see God. That they look at, at, at the current state of our culture and the world and sometimes even the church. I mean, there's... there's there's things God, I believe, is in this season of cleaning up his house because he needs spiritual fathers, not just pastors. In fact, Paul said this. He said, there's many teachers among you, but not many fathers. And there's a difference. There's a difference between learning from somebody information and being spiritually fathered, cared for, pastored, help raise you up spiritually. All of us need it. And I believe that, that the, the state of Christianity today is a direct result of having a lot of teachers, but not many fathers. And yet, even as I look out here, one of the things I love about pastoring this church is there are so, there are so many of you that have been spiritual fathers and mothers to so many sitting in this room. And I believe this is part of the call back to the church is to declare the goodness of God in the middle of things that aren't good. And there's an all-out attack on God's rep, his reputation as a good, good father. That he's not distant, he hasn't left you, he hasn't forsaken you, that he's a good, good father who loves you and will go through to any extreme to be in relationship with you. Look what it says, Luke 15, look at verse 20. When this man finally came to his senses, what was it that, that clicked? He remembered that he had a good, good father. He remembered, don't think for a minute, he was actually risking his life and he was risking rejection to go back to the father's house, but there was something inside of him that said, I know that my father is good and if I'm willing to go back to his house, that he'll receive me because he's a good father. 
Now, now think about this. This God's goodness has been under attack since the beginning of the world, the creation of the world. Going back to the garden, the first home, if you will, that God created a spiritual son and a spiritual daughter to live in the protection of the Garden of Eden, their home, where God provided and he said, you are free to eat of any tree in the garden. I'm gonna provide for you, I'm gonna take care of you, I'm gonna protect you, I'm gonna love you. And the Bible says that they walked together in relationship in the cool of the day. They had a face-to-face -face relationship and it was beautiful. They were loved until the enemy of their soul, Satan, the liar, the deceiver came and got in their ear and started to ask them, did God really say? But what was he really asking? He was actually really questioning, does God really have your best interest in mind? Is he really a good God? Because if he was good, he wouldn't withhold anything from you. You'd be free to eat off any of the trees, but you're not, are you? And see, just there, think about it. There was, you know how many varieties of apple trees there are? There's like, 30 might be an under, undershot. There's like a ton of varieties of apple trees. Think about all the different types of trees, all the food. It's kind of like being in the Mall of America and somebody gave you a gift card and said, hey, you could spend, this is X amount of money. There's millions of dollars on here. Use it whenever you want. Just don't go to this one store. And yeah, right? All the shopaholics are like, I want to go in that store. I like the shoes in there. See that Dolce Gabbana? Come on. And, um, and, and yet the enemy got in their ear and started having them question, if God is good, why would he withhold something good from you? And they bought into it. And the minute that they did, sin entered the world. Shame, guilt, fear immediately entered them. And they started acting like spiritual orphans. They went and they tried to hide themselves and distance themselves from the God who created them, from the Father who loved them, who was good, and his goodness came and he even clothed them themselves, but they got evicted, if you will, from their first true home, the Garden of Eden. And I would propose to you that ever since then, sin has created this distance between God's sons and daughters. That every time that, that we sin and we know the reality of our sin and our, in our humanness, in, in our nature, our human nature, our sinful nature that we inherited from Adam and Eve, that our instincts are to not run to this loving father, but to distance ourselves from him, to hide from him. And you know what strikes me about this passage? Now, in Jewish culture also, the oldest brother, he would get the lion's share of the inheritance, but that was because he was considered the matriarch of the family. When the father would pass away, he now would step into the role as the matriarch of the family. What really should have happened in this story is that the older brother, seeing that the younger brother left, he should have known and had the heart of the father, and he should have ran after the younger brother and tried to bring him home. But he didn't because of his own wounding and everything. I actually believe this is a picture of what the church should be doing. That now the church is the older brother and we should be looking for lost sons and daughters and bringing them back to the father's house. But I love, I love that God, even though in the story, the older brother doesn't do that. 
Here's the reality. Jesus is our older brother. And God sent his one and only son. Do you know that God is such a good father? He said, enough is enough. I am tired of my sons and daughters being distant from me, not knowing my love, questioning my goodness. I'm going to go to any extreme. I'm going to send my one and only son to take on flesh, and he's going to walk the earth perfectly, and he's going to show people who I am and what my heart is towards them. And it messed up the religious leaders. They thought he was a hard man. I love the parable of the talents. When they came to the one man, he doesn't invest it because he's too scared. He's too scared to, to, to fail. He's too, too scared. Just like many of us, we're too scared to step out in faith because we're going to fail, because we're, we're, we're afraid we're going to be rejected. And the one man who didn't invest it, but he hung on to it, he said, oh, I was afraid because I know you're a hard man. This is exactly what the religious people today thought. God is hard. He's a hard father. He's hard to please. And yet Jesus comes. And when they throw the prostitute at his feet and pick up the stones and ready to stone her and kill her, he says, which one of you will cast the first stone? And as they slowly drop their stones and walk away, he says, daughter, daughter, catch that daughter. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He showed her love. He showed her grace. And they couldn't figure out this Jesus. And Jesus comes to show us the Father and to what the heart of God is. And that he went to the cross and he took on my sin and your sin. And in that moment, when he hung on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took on the orphan spirit and it got nailed and crucified to a cross so that we could be free to now be accepted and be beloved as sons and daughters of the most high God. But this is where a lot of us stop. We stop at being forgiven. But can I tell you, that forgiveness is just the beginning of the story. Jesus died to forgive you of your sin so that you could come home to the Father. So that you could be in relationship with your heavenly Father. See, God is holy and he can't stand in the presence of sin. So he had to send his one and only son, Jesus, to pay the debt and cancel the debt of your sin and my sin so that we can walk in relationship with him but we don't, and why? Because we've been conditioned, many of us, to see our heavenly father the way we've seen our earthly fathers treat us. And I'm here to tell you today that for many of us, until we disassociate, we don't, you know, we don't even recognize we're doing it. And I know firsthand, I'm not just preaching this to you, I've lived it. My parents got divorced when I was two. My dad remarried and moved to another state. I would go visit him on weekends. And when he would pick me up to go to him, I, I felt like I was getting picked up by a stranger. Now, this is no fault to my dad, because here's, here's the thing that we have to understand. Our parents, our fathers, just like us, were broken. Many of them didn't know Jesus. They didn't know the love of the Father, and they were wounded themselves, and wounded people wound people. And so I've got a ton of grace. But, but the reality was my dad was almost like getting picked up by a stranger. We didn't have that heart-to-heart -heart connection growing up. And I had this gaping father wound 
I felt rejected, I was insecure. And when I got saved and God's spirit came into my, to my life, as the Bible said, the, the spirit that cries out, Abba, Father, I got the spirit of sonship to know now I have a heavenly father that loves me. And he began healing over time that wounded heart. And as he did that, I got more and more free as I knew more and more the goodness of God and the love of God. He got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. You need to know something this morning. No matter what you've been through, no matter what your experience is with your earthly father, God sees you. He sees you, he sees you, he sees you, he sees your pain. He knows your wounds. And just like I was thinking about this while we were in worship, just like Jesus looked over Jerusalem and wept over it. So they're like, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, let me translate to you. They're like, they're like sons and daughters without a father. Got a lot of teachers, but nobody who's really showing them the love of the father. And then the son said to him, I love the father saw him. He was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And then the son said to the father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And this is exactly how we relate to the father oftentimes and we don't even realize it. I'm not worthy, I'm a sinner. No, you're a saint, you're a son, you're a daughter of God, a good, good father who loves you that sent his son to die in your place for you to bridge the gap between you and him. And he closed the gap so you could walk in relationship and he could restore what was taken away. Do you know that Satan was the original orphan? He was in heaven as one of the three sons of God, the archangels. There's Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. Lucifer, he was, he was the archangel over worship until one day he said, just like the elder son says, I am better off without you, God. I don't need you. I can do life without you. Just like Adam and Eve do it. And this is where so many of us fall until we realize that we are broken, we are lost, we are wounded, and we need a good, good father to not just heal us, but to help us. To help us follow him, to help us love, experience love that he has for you and me. And the father said to his servants, quick, right now, right now, right now, I believe God is putting a, a beautiful robe, the best robe. Look at the extravagance, the best robe. Not just, hey, get him a, some kind of a coat, maybe a towel, throw it over him, help him to stay warm. No, this wasn't even about providing for him. This was absolute extravagance. The best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his finger. The ring was a signet ring. The ring meant that he was restored back as a son adopted back in the family. Do you know that we get adopted back into the family? Not by adoption the way we think of it, but when we are born again, it's like God rebirthed us as sons and daughters of the Most High God. He put a ring on his finger to say, you are, you're back, you're my son. He put sandals on his feet to protect him where he would walk and the dirt that he would get to know that, that you're gonna be covered. I've got you. And then he celebrated. The fattened calf, that was reserved only for the highest celebration because it was expensive. It was the most valuable thing that you have is that fattened calf. And we might overlook that, but this is just an example of, he didn't just provide, he went out of his way to show his goodness and his love. And let me tell you something.
The world and your enemy wants to go out of his way to rob you of the revelation of the goodness of God over your life and that you worship a good, good father who is madly in love with you and will do anything, anything to be in relationship with you. For this son of mine, he was dead, but is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So I really think that the title, if I had it my way, if I had the Lance translation, this would be called the prodigal father. And some of you might be like, whoa, whoa, that's blasphemy, Pastor Lance. Before you throw that stone, let me share with you a definition of what prodigal is. Prodigal, prodigal is when there is extreme, extra, extremely abundant giving or yielding profusely, very generous, lavish, wastefully, recklessly extravagant. That's why some people have a problem with that worship song, Reckless Love. But let me tell you, that is exactly what the father did. It wasn't prudent. It wasn't in his best interest. It wasn't a smart move to do what he did, but he didn't care because he'll do anything to be in relationship with his lost sons and daughters. And so uh, I, got, I got a little saying for you because here's what I think happens. And this is exactly what the older son did is that we create religion instead of relationship because it's easier to follow rules than to walk in relationship daily with the father. If you could put that, that saying up for me. That when religion, listen to this, Religion is what happens when we lose the revelation that God is a good father. I'll say that again. You need to let this sink in because this is, this is exactly what the enemy brought. Because when you don't see God as a good father, you're not going to run to him. You're going to hide from him. And too many of us are hiding and not running to the father. But religion is what happens when we lose the revelation that God is a good, good father. Which leads me to my second point that I took away from this passage is that when we distance ourselves from our heavenly father, we become spiritual orphans. Now, by definition, a lot of us understand what an orphan is. But let me tell you that I believe that an orphan is any time that we have removed ourselves under the care, out from under the care of our heavenly father. And, and oftentimes we do this uh, and we end up living a orphan lifestyle, doing things on our own apart from God and existing as if no one is there for me. And it could lead to us living in fear, being anxious, insecure, and striving to be loved and accepted. I love this, uh, this quote from Leif Hetland. He wrote this, a true orphan knows what it means to live life without the security, the stability, and warmth of a physical home. A spiritual orphan is no different. He is also well acquainted with the feelings of fear, rejection, anxiety, and homelessness, even if he has a physical place to go home at night. This is because the spiritual orphan has come face to face with the real meaning of homelessness, living life without a father. A child is an orphan the moment that a father is no longer there to provide, protect, and to care for him. And so you see this son, these two sons, 
Even though one stayed in the house, they both were spiritual orphans. Even though their father was there for them, one of them said to the father, uh, th this hit me so hard, give me my share of estate. In other words, he wanted the benefits of being a son without the relationship of being a son. How many of us treat our Christian life like that? We want the benefit of being saved and going to heaven. We want the benefit of having peace and joy. We want the benefit of praying to God and asking him to bless me, give me that new job, give me a wife, give me a girlfriend, help me get, get my career going, provide for me financially, uh, provide for me, all these things. We want the benefits of being a son without walking in relationship with the father. The other son wasn't that much different even though he stayed in the house. He actually said, you never gave me. And too many of us, we're looking to, at, a, at a give me God, where if you don't give me what I want, you're not good. In fact, too many of us, we equate bad things that we go through in life, challenges, struggles, troubles, pain, cancer, divorce, losing a business, having a, our finances hit, and we immediately posture ourselves, God, why did you let this happen to me? You're not a good God. If you were so good, why did you let this happen to me? And yet the reality is, is that I believe God is weeping over it. Saying, man, I, I am right there with you. In the middle of your pain, I see you. I have compassion for you. Sin is what did this to you, not me. Living in a fallen world is what did it to you, not me. I never wanted that divorce. I never wanted that bankruptcy for you. I never wanted that child to leave, get addicted to drugs. I never wanted you to be addicted to porn. I never wanted that for you. That's not my best for you. But I promise you, if you come home, if you run to me, you come back under my provision, under my care. And we have to. Because I'm telling you, too many of us, we're, we're living as though we are spiritual orphans, even though we have a good, good father. But when we are willing to run to the father, he receives us and takes us back in. He puts a robe, the best robe on you. He puts a ring on your finger. He restores your identity. He gives you purpose. Now here's a video that I wanna play for you that shows just that. I just want to come home. 
coming through town soon, and, and I'd really just like to see you. I know I can't just show up at the front door like I used to, but, but if you want to see me, just hang a small sheet out on the porch. If the sheet isn't there, when I drive by, I'll keep going, and, and I'll try not to bother you anymore. I love you, Dad.
he got this little apartment in Florida. I just graduated college and there was this one year between when I graduated college and, and my wife and I moved out here to Montana. And in that one year, my dad and I actually spent a lot of time together. I'd go over his house, we'd watch a football game, just hang out and talk about life. We'd go play golf together, go to church together. We had some of the best conversations we've ever had. And during that season, there was something that happened in my heart connected to his heart. And as I got to know him more, I loved him more. I connected to him more. And so listen, if you're gonna, if you're gonna take your place as a son or daughter of God, you've gotta learn to connect to the heart of God. You know, I love in the Bible, the apostle John. There's something different about John than the rest of the disciples. John understood, in fact, when John would write his books in the Bible, in the New Testament, he would start out, John, the beloved. There was something about John, he seemed to just be more rooted, more grounded. I believe that that, that rooting and grounding was because he got a revelation and not just a revelation. You can't just know Jesus loves you because the Bible tells you so. You actually have to experience that love. And I believe John connected to the heart of the Father and he experienced the love of the Father by spending time with Jesus. At one point, the disciples, Philip came to the, Jesus and said, hey, you know what will seal the deal for us? Show us the Father, then we'll believe. And Jesus said, oh man, have you not been with me all this time? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father because I spend time with my Father and connecting to his heart every day. The Bible says that Jesus would constantly get away from the crowds and have times of just being with God, praying, connecting to the heart of the Father. And John, the beloved, knew he was loved. I think there was a turning point for John. You know what I think that, that moment was? I believe it was the moment at the Last Supper when after watching Jesus show how much he loved his disciples by taking the place of a servant and wrapping a towel around his waist and getting down on his hands and knees and washing the dirt off him, symbolizing what he would about to go do on the cross that I'm cleansing you and I'm preparing you to receive the love of the Father. And after watching that, it says that they were seated at the table and at some point in the meal, John was sitting next to Jesus and he just put his head on his chest. Now for a man to do that, that's not very manly. It's not very masculine-like. It's not like going out there and smashing some car. But I'll tell you, that was the most masculine thing that he could have done in that moment. Here's what I want to tell you. You need to rest your head on Jesus. That when you're willing to rest your head on Jesus, that there's this exchange that happens. Just like when Mary sat at his feet. The other Martha, she's running around doing all this stuff for Jesus. I'm slaving for you, Jesus. 
doing your work for the kingdom. But Mary was just sitting at the feet of Jesus, looking up into the eyes of love, just receiving, just receiving the love of God, knowing the heart of the Father, being a, a daughter. And let me tell you, until we get to the place where we stop doing all the religious stuff and sit at the feet of the Father in relationship and receive love. That's why it's so important. Just get away with God. Be with Him. Just be with Him. Talk to Him. Tell Him what you're going through. He already knows, but He wants to hear it from you. He wants a relationship with you, a real one. He wants you to open up His Word. Can I tell you that the Bible is the greatest love letter ever written. It's God's love letter to humanity. It's God saying through the beginning to the end, I relentlessly will come after you, run after you with my extravagant love. I'll never stop pursuing you. And some of you are here today and it's not by accident. And I believe God is putting out the white flag to say, will you surrender? Will you be willing to run to me? so I can embrace you as a son, a daughter. I wanna, I wanna speak this scripture over you as we close. And I got one last thing that God put in my heart this morning. In Galatians 4, it says this, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, our brother, our older brother, Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those, to buy you back Buy back your brokenness, buy back your addiction, buy back your divorce, buy back your wounds, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And that spirit calls out, Abba Father, Daddy, I need you. I need you crying out to you as your son, as your daughter. Say, God, I need you right now. I'm, I gotta run to you. And when you do that, you're no longer a spiritual orphan. You're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God made you an heir. So I don't know how many of you are here today. And this is the first time that you've seen God like that. You've seen God like a father and, and you know you've been running from God, distancing yourself like that younger brother. And today is the day that you make a decision to say, I wanna come home to the father. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of living my life out from his protection, his provision and, and my identity as a son or daughter. If that's you, I just want you to slip your hand up Say, today's the day I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to become a son or daughter of the Most High God. Come on, anyone. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Maybe some of you today, you, you've been a follower of Jesus, but you've wandered away from that relationship. And you know today that God brought you here on this Father's Day 2022 because he wants to restore that relationship. He wants to bring you back as a son or daughter. If that's you, just raise your hand right now. Don't even think about it. Just do what the Spirit is telling you to do. Just respond. God bless you. God bless you. 
Come on, anyone else, this is your moment. For the rest of us, I wanna read this. This is something this morning God put on my heart, this declaration to declare over you as a son or daughter of the Most High. I want you to stand to your feet right now and then the worship team is gonna lead us in one last song. And we're gonna open up this altar. We're gonna have our prayer team over, the, over here to pray with you. So I believe God is doing something in some of your hearts today. Listen to me, an orphan spirit can't be cast out. It can only be healed. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to put one hand on your heart and the other lift it up to heaven. And I want you to listen to these words as I declare them over you. I knew you in your mother's womb. And I chose you to be my child. You are my dream come true. You are not a disappointment. I love you just as you are. Though earthly fathers and the enemy have confused you, I am a good, good father who is always waiting to embrace you with my love. Today, I am demolishing the lies that you are not enough, you're not important enough, valuable enough, you are unseen and that you cannot be loved. You have strived to be something more that I would, that I, so that I would love you and accept you, but I already love you right now. You were accepted and drawn to my presence when my son Jesus hung on the cross, and took your sin and your shame and your fear and your rejection and nailed it to the cross. His resurrection conquered the orphan spirit. So now you can receive the spirit of adoption, the spirit of sonship and call on me, your heavenly father. I will always receive you with open arms when you run to me. Run to me now and declare this day. Would you declare this with me? Say it after me. I am not a spiritual orphan. Say it again. Come on. I am not a spiritual orphan. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. I am God's son and daughter who is deeply, extravagantly, and unconditionally loved and accepted by a good, good father.